Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part improv comedy. I'm Alex Good. Oh my god, I forgot a part, didn't I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you said, I'm like, is he testing me? Does he think I can't do it? Because I can do it. <laughs> I genuinely forgot I had more intro to say. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. I mean, I already said my part. Uh, <laughs> We're going to say well, it again. <laughs> I mean, no, you're because right. Because if I don't say it again, <laughs> you have to keep this part in. <laughs> oh, no. This was staying in regardless. Sweet. I am A-OK with uh, with making sure. here. It's one of those things where like I need to throw in parts where I'm stupid but funny so that way I can cut out all the parts where I'm stupid and it's not funny yeah. so that way I can still have like a little bit of a scapegoat to fall back on that's fair <laughs> fair point uh guys we are recording this episode two days after we got maybe the best news on the planet well hold on maybe let's not throw the stone that high maybe <laughs> yeah um maybe best news <laughs> For this podcast in the past year. Yes. And so the SAG after strike is finally over. And it's one of those things where the way people are celebrating, it's like, yeah, the SAG after strike is over. Which, like, yes, I'm glad that the strike is over. The way people are wording it, I think we should maybe focus on the fact that, hey, corporate minds finally came to their senses is maybe the part we should be celebrating more. Also, it's not like they got everything they wanted. It's, there's yeah. always a compromise. Yeah. And um, there probably won't be another strike for like 10 or 15 years. So like, this is as good as Fingers it gets crossed. for a long time. Well, their contra- their, this contract goes for three years. So when the contract negotiation happens again in three years, maybe it won't have to come to this yeah. is is the idea. And there are other unions that are that enter their contract negotiation next year, like IATSE and mm-hmm. uh, VFX uh, guilds. And it's one of those things where like you look at it and you're like, I am going to support you. I just ho- really hope it doesn't come to that. Like... Like, gang, we spent, like, a collective 300 days on strike between the WGA and um, the SAG after strike. I'm hoping that companies are like, hey, maybe we just uh, don't do this again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think about it, I'm like, this just um, SAG has been on strike since July, dude. Yeah, and then the WGA was since May, May I believe. Yeah. Um, and what I find really funny is like the hour after SAG put out their statement that it was over, all night you were seeing um a bunch of headlines about movies and their new release dates and how vague they are now. Like, oh, Deadpool 3 now has a summer 2024 release window. Hey gang, I just want to say Summer 2024 is really close to not have an official date. So yeah. maybe don't spring for that window. I'm just saying. I also think like if the movie has not entered production yet, it's not happening next year. Yeah, come on gang. Let's yeah. let's be real. There's a couple ones that like um have they're like they finished production they just have to do a couple wrap-ups those can come out end of next year but like this year if it has if they haven't started shooting not happening straight up not happening movies take a while they take way longer than you think but i remember because the big deal when um strike conversations are involved is to not believe media outlets when it comes to covering stuff you should only take news from the source itself so I was like driving home from the movies and I saw like Variety put out an article and I instantly went to the SAG Instagram and was just like refreshing for like 15 minutes waiting for their infographic to pop up. Most stressful 15 minutes of my life. Yeah, dude. I was like, I waited for it to hit like wide news. Yeah. I'm like, this needs to be reported on the New York Times because if it's on New York Times, it's like six other places. Yeah, for sure. So I'm like, um, we'll wait for it to pop there, and then I'll believe it. So we're going to do our movie review. We're going to stick with A24 month for the rest of the month, just because we kind of nestled ourselves into a theme here. Um, but we are going to take uh, the rest of this episode to kind of catch up on some unfinished business. 
Yeah, we've been um, watching movies during the strike and just not talking about them. So now you can finally hear what we think about some stuff. And I got a lot to say. So um, we're going to start with our review planned for the week. We're going to be talking about the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, Enemy. It is directed by Denis Villeneuve, uh, Dune director. This is his first English movie. It's based on a book called The Double, I believe. Um, If you don't want to hear us talk about this movie at all, you can skip to this time code right here. Time code, 26 minutes, 50 seconds. So, uh, spiders, man, right? Dude, so I watched this movie all the way through, watched the commentary, and then watched the first five minutes again. I feel like the first five minutes are there just to confuse you. Yes. There's oh, yeah. no point. They could have just so, thrown that on at the end, and it would have been uh, just a more understandable movie. So here's the deal. This movie is about um, Jake Gyllenhaal, who plays two characters in this movie. One of them is kind of like this washed-up, lower-ish, middle-class um, history teacher, history professor at a university. And he also plays a character who is this kind of up and coming like film star actor yeah who's like has enough money for an apartment and doesn't have to worry about money but isn't like super duper famous right and um their characters are um adam and anthony respectively and i want to get that out of the way now because the only way to refer to these characters are by their names yeah by so their adam names is- or occupation or the girl they're with so Adam is the history professor and Anthony is the actor. So one day Adam just watches a movie based on somebody's recommendation. And in this movie, he sees Anthony who looks exactly like him. Like identical and this, twin. And this freaks him out. So he starts like researching the dude and eventually reaches out to him and is like, hey, we look exactly alike. We need to meet up and see if there's something else going on. And that kind of is the catalyst to a myriad of other psychological thriller-esque elements that are to unfold throughout the rest of the movie. Now, you might be thinking, Craig, that doesn't sound like an incredibly strong base to uh, build your entire psychological thriller off of. And to that, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. The, uh-huh. This movie also does a couple moves that other movies do like inception does this is they throw it this movie makes perfect sense if you cut out like three or four things so yes i'm just just skip straight to spoilers because it's not a super long movie and you have to talk about it so you realize in this movie that there is a lot of overlap on these guys like there is a picture that adam possesses that is like ripped and then you go to anthony's apartment and you see that that same picture has anthony's wife in it so you're like well he must be anthony that's the only that's one plus one equals two however anthony's wife whose name is helen goes and meets up with adam because she's like i want to meet this guy who looks just like you i also want to confirm that my husband's not cheating on me and they're talking adam does not recognize helen and then he walks just off frame she can't see him she calls him and anthony picks up but you can't see what adam's doing so it could have just been adam so you're like well this is probably the same guy with just like split personality like he's obviously disassociated and he's two different people um which makes sense um you also they have the same scar and they're only around each other alone so like yes twin brothers don't have the same scar unless you're like connected at like your identical twins and you were connected at birth and they have to like separate you and you have the same scar or you got an identical accident it just doesn't make sense but like every time they interact with each other they're by themselves so nobody can corroborate that they're two different people um he adam also goes and talks to his mom and she's like no it's just you you don't have a brother and also um i wish you gave up on your acting career and i was like what are you talking about and i'm like okay so now we're like straight up. These are two, di- two of the same people. Obviously, he's just disassociated. So one part of his brain is living with Helen, his wife. And another part of his brain is a professor and has a girlfriend named Mary in a different apartment. 
His mom also comments at the very beginning of the movie, which you completely forget about because there's no context, is she goes, I don't know why you moved into that other apartment. It doesn't make any sense. I hope everything's going well for you because it's not very nice. And then when he meets with her later in the movie, she goes, I love that new appointment. Uh, I love your apartment. So obviously he's got two different places that he's living in. So all this says, same dude, two different girls. However, <laughs> later in the movie, I mean, we're deep in spoilers. Um, Anthony, who has been known to cheat on his wife, Helen knows about it. It gets brought up in the movie. Um, frames Adam and says, I know you've been sleeping with my wife, which is obviously fabricated and Anthony knows it. So give me the weekend with your girlfriend. I'm going to take your clothes. I'm going to pretend to be you. And I'm basically going to sleep with her because I'm a dog and there's nothing you can do about it. When he's hooking up with Adam's wife, uh, Adam's girlfriend, Mary, she freaks out because she sees a tan line of a wedding ring on his finger. So she knows this guy might look exactly like Adam, but it's not him or something's different. That doesn't make sense because if they were the same dude, why would he? She would have always noticed that tan yeah, line. That, that tan, tan line, line would have always, always been, there. been there. So that's like that doesn't make sense. Point one. At the very end of the when so when she freaks out, she's like, "I'm going home. Take me home." So they are in the car together, and uh, long story short, there's a disagreement. They wreck the car and they die. Then it cuts back to Adam, who has because he felt horrible that Anthony was going to be with his girlfriend. He goes to meet with Anthony's wife, Helen, and he's like, "Well, I'm just going to pretend to be you then." He feels ends up feeling bad about it and all that stuff. But at the very end of the movie, you hear the radio say there was a crash on the highway. Two people were. I mean, we're reportedly dead. I'm like, well, how are they dead and you're still here? Then you can't be the same dude. So then at the very end of the movie, I mean, you're just like, what's real and what's not real? Is this just like a super unreliable narrator? Are these, like, did he just imagine that whole thing? And at the very, very end of the movie, it just ends with him going into the room um, to just see Helen and she's a giant tarantula, like fills up the room size. And I'm like, oh, so nothing is real. Nothing's real. And that's the okay. entire movie. It cut out a couple of details, but like that's the gist. So I'm going to be real honest with you. The idea of a split personality or a memento type situation never even occurred to me when watching this movie. I took this movie at extremely face value. Yeah, like obviously so they're two the, different guys. They're related yeah. somehow. You just never know. <laughs> The movie was like, these are two different people. And I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, they are. Like, there was a moment where, like, when they were showing each other their scars, where I was like, maybe there's like a, we're going to take like a sci-fi pivot and they're like clones of each other or something to that effect. Or they were separated at birth or like, I was waiting for the plot twist that explained at the very least Why their they, relationship they, yeah, to like, each other. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but the fact of the matter is that never happened. And it the, again, this is one of those movies where you know everything about it was a choice. Um, this movie is very quiet. There are lots of scenes that's just like Adam walking through a video store or Adam walking down the streets like there are lots of scenes that um, pace themselves slowly and the first the, 15 20 minutes of this movie are boring it, yeah because all it's doing is establishing Adam's repetition yeah. Adam is supposed to be portrayed as this like like I said, washed up dude stuck in a, the rut of life that is like he is the pinnacle of mediocrity in life. Um, and the movie takes 15 minutes establishing that. Um, so the main thing that I could think of the entire time that I was watching this movie is this would have made an amazing 30 minute short film. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is. I felt like there just wasn't enough meat on the bones of the concept to make it go for a hundred minutes. Um, and there was, I feel like they filled. So this could have been 45 minutes. I think right around 45 minutes to an hour. The extra 30 minutes is just artistic choices. <laughs> sure. And there was definitely a level that like even when I finished the movie, I didn't resonate with a level of um Adam 
I felt like was working way too hard on a coincidence. Like this is just a doppelganger, dude. Yeah. Like if somebody, if I were to be watching a movie and be like, see someone that looks exactly like me, first of all, I don't know if I would look at someone and be like, that dude looks exactly like me. Like, as I've discussed in previous episodes, like, I have difficulty recognizing my sense of self. So if I were to, other people would have to be like, hey, Craig, this guy looks exactly like you. And I'd just be like, okay, I'll take your word for it. I don't know what I look like to you. Um, And even on that matter, I can't, um, there's an underlying motivation that is not expressed well enough that for me to understand why Adam is trying three, four, five times to get in contact with this dude to figure out like why they look so similar. It just seems like a really weak basis to go off of. Yeah, it's just because this is the only thing going on in his life, I think. He's like, well, it's just interesting. I mean, the immediate red flag was, oh, you find a guy who looks exactly like you and he lives in the same city? Like, yeah. what are the odds, dude? Like, Toronto's a big place, but come on. Like, this is not uh, L.A. where <laughs> that's where the actors live or New York where that's where actors live. This is a this is Toronto and you just, the guy lives a couple miles down the street. Well, just to be that guy, Canada does have a lot of filming locations. So it's not unreasonable that actors have places in Canada. Yeah. Um, just for me, I'm just like, this, in my head, this only works in LA. This is Hollywood. But, you know, it's sure. whatever. But I mean, like, he was in a couple movies. And so, I mean, the in the uh, commentary with the director and Gyllenhaal, the, it was... Um, written in the way that these are supposed to be the same person they are supposed okay. to be identical and it's supposed to be comical at points that like when anthony is going to hook up with this so-called girlfriend it's supposed to be funny that he's looking at her because because they're thinking you've already hooked up with her this is your girlfriend you have a long relationship with her and then what helen sees in adam like him being sweet and gentle is supposed to be the side that she initially fell for in anthony that he doesn't have anymore like these are yeah. two these are the two people like we're all different people with different groups you know we show different sides of us um these are the two sides of him one that helen hasn't seen in forever and um that mary uh may have never seen or hasn't seen yet but like the guy is just like so disconnected he doesn't understand that he's hooking up with sleeping with women he's already built long relationships with so They've discussed that pretty intensely. They talk about also, um, I mean, the fact that their hair is identical and their facial hair is identical. Obviously, they're the same people. Um, but Hall talks about like the minor differences between them, just like posture, basic mannerisms. They wanted to keep their voices the same, wanted to keep a lot of this stuff the same. But um, I mean, I never I didn't talk about this before. Uh, I watched this movie like nine years ago. Yeah, when this movie came and out. When this movie came out, I was at, I was going to family video like twice a week getting three or four movies every time and i watched it and then watching this again all i remembered was you're gonna he's gonna meet anthony and anthony's a bad guy and he's and i think he ends up he's like he ends up hooking up with your girlfriend and he ends up killing her i don't remember anything else i was about to explain what family video was for people that didn't know and then i remembered that it was a whole ass set in stranger things so never mind i guess you guys know yeah uh, blockbuster but not blockbuster you know yeah so um, um i only remember that so the whole like for the first hour of the movie i'm like is that a different movie is that this movie i feel like i would remember it but i mean like i only watched it once and i was in high school when i watched it and guess what this movie doesn't make sense so you don't walk away being like oh i remember all the plot points no there's just spiders in it for no reason and there's like a whole like eyes wide shut stuff in the beginning that makes zero sense no it makes no sense at all and by the way in the commentary the director um basically says the spies were just an artistic taste it's not in the book at all yes so i want to go in depth on the spider thing a little bit more not that i have anything remarkable to say about it but um so spiders show up just infrequently enough in this movie for you to forget about them so every time they come back you're like oh great here's the spiders again (laughs) um 
And they always show up in kind of different places. Like you said, they show up in that abstract intro um, as kind of, and it makes you the, give you, and it gives you the vibe that like, oh, this is like a spider movie. And then they don't bring up spiders again for like 45 minutes. And then I think it's Adam is walking down an empty hallway and walking down the other side of the hallway is a naked woman with the head of a spider. And you're like, oh, I have conflicting emotions about this. Um, And then, like you said, at the end, when he's going to go see um, Helen, it's just a room with a big freaking spider in it. And I There's was also looking a the scene eye- of just the city with a giant spider walking through it, like King Kong, yeah, or Godzilla. Um, and I'm like, what is happening, dude? And I was looking through the IMDb trivia, you know, the most reliable source of information. Um, and it said that um, Villeneuve made the um, cast and crew all sign NDAs, saying that they will never reveal in an interview or publicly what the meaning of the spiders was and i'm gonna be honest even if i knew wouldn't help it would there seem is not made up i'd be like oh cool that doesn't make any sense there is not a single thing that there's that those spiders could represent that would tie the movie in in a healthy way that's like oh the sign the spiders are a sign of anthony's degrading mental health and i'm like okay sure does not add the sure. movie. There's um, no aha in this movie. There's like a I think so, but at, like when I talked about in the beginning, there's there's like ten clues that they're the same person, and then you just sprinkle in two or three that just make those impossible. Just be like, oh, these can't be the same person. I'm like, well, what is it? Oh, and by the way, I hate where it's just like, I don't know. You decide. Was this real or not? I'm like, I don't know, man. Are you just is it the whole point just to confuse me? Or is this whole thing a dream? Is this all made up? Are you just delusional? And I I just want to say that, like, these are valid artistic choices in movies. I I, I want to express that, like, you know, the whole point of art is to show, not tell. Right. But I feel like this movie was showing us nonsense. (laughs) Yes. And so it was nonsense hidden behind, like, cinematic aesthetics. Yeah. And so. I'm okay with it having like abstract parts of the movie, but when your entire movie is abstract, then like I could have just a note gotten really high and took a nap and had a really sick dream. Like there's levels to this, right? And I think that this movie is just one level too far. What I personally want from a movie um percentage wise or ratio wise 85 15 yeah for sure dude this is also not a movie i rec if people are like i like thrillers this is a textbook thriller i'm not recommending this to anybody there are so many thrillers that do it better and are way easier to watch yeah um so now that we've had this conversation (laughs) let me just flamed this movie um this is tough. I thought I had a good vibe going into it. I think I want to preface this with some good points, right? Because I really like Jake Gyllenhaal. He's like and one he of did, those. Uh, dude, he did a great job. We always knew who he was, even if his character was dressed up like somebody else pretending to be another dude. We always And I do want to say... Uh, not only is that an attribute of Gyllenhaal, it's also an attribute of cinematography because Adam's scenes were always um, cast with yellow light and Anthony's scenes were always cast with white light. So between Gyllenhaal and the active lighting choices, it was super easy to tell who we were watching at any given point. So I, I want to give the movie props at being clear and delineating that one thing because if (laughs) they lost that one thing game over not even making it to the end of the movie um but at the end of the day this was unsatisfying is probably the best word that i can attach to how i feel to the motivation the plot structure the pacing and the resolution so i think based on all that it has to sit at like a four and a half 
Okay, yeah, I was looking in the fives because the thing is, is like the vibes are cool. It's a cool concept. I just wanted more. I'm like, you have, I just, they introduce things. I'm like, dude, when I figure out what's going on, this is going to blow my mind. Yeah. And it just doesn't happen. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a five and a quarter. Yeah. Just, it is good enough it's got vibes it shows relationships well but like the store the reason you're watching this movie is for resolution that doesn't happen and that's a huge turnoff for me and then like we said before there's just like i feel like they there's a million open threads and they close like half of them i'm like well there's there's more there's more to this and we're just never gonna get closure this movie has no closure it's been a long time since i've seen alex get so passionate about a movie this is this maybe have been the hardest discussion for me to get a word in. <laughs> yeah, and when I real I realized when I was describing the entire movie in the first that, seven yeah. minutes of this discussion, I'm like, <laughs> maybe I do like this movie. No, it's because I I care about this movie, and it it is this movie was supposed to be one of my favorites. It has it has dude. You have a weird timeline. Big big fan of that. Um. Mo- serious and thorough relationships with like just relationships they seemed flesh out these weren't just like okay female characters like you understood where they felt about things like the, the actresses were amazing um and it also helps they didn't have a bunch of characters so you could just spend more time on the four people on screen um and then you have like a weird device like they're being doppelgangers and then they just messed it all up bro I'm like, you had me, you had me and you ruined it. So that's why I care so much. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Um, so moving on, um, like I said, the rest of this episode, we're just going to do a big old moonlighting segment. Um, we're still going to keep it like pretty limited. We're not going to make this a two hour episode. So have faith. Um, um, first, let's get the obligations out of the way. Um, let's do let, let's touch on Barbenheimer real quick. Um, you Man, didn't see Barbie, right? We are so freaking late to this. The yeah, fact I know. that we're talking about it now makes me feel weird. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Barbie was the was an amazing moment in pop culture. Um, it is super fun. It is super sparkly, and I think it delivers a strong enough message to where, like. It is the perfect encapsulating pop moment of the summer. And I really want to give it props for that. Um, As far as what it tries to accomplish, I have seen other movies this year that I'm going to talk about that I think does a better job at developing that message. So that's all I wanted to say about Barbie. It's fun. It was worth it. Um, If you, I, I feel like it's one of those movies that like, if you don't have fun with it, it's because you're actively trying to be a hater. Yeah. Um, I've only heard good things. A lot of people were like, it's trying to push some message. I'm like, dude, all movies are doing that. That's, I mean, that's literally what people make movies for. Unless it's like a strict comedy where it's just jokes, jokes, jokes. Everyone's got a message. But like, I heard from a lot of people. I'm like, this is just a good movie. So I don't um, but know. But Oppenheimer. Okay, dude. Freaking Oppenheimer. This movie... I'm not mad about it. This is my, this is my favorite director though. And every yeah. time he does a historical movie, it is not my favorite. I liked high conceptual stuff. I like Interstellar, Inception, Tenant. I like that stuff. And then obviously the Batman franchise because everybody likes that. Then we get to stuff like Dunkirk. Then we get to stuff like Oppenheimer where I'm like, I know this is based off history and it's going to be cinematic AF. It's just not my favorite thing that you mm. offer. So I felt the movie was too long. The whole sequence with Robert Downey Jr. at the end, the last 45 minutes to hour, unnecessary. Does not matter. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I feel like that drops this movie down like a whole one or two points off a 10-point scale because it just felt dragging. Um. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Seeing the consequences and fallout of what Oppenheimer did was very important to see. If the movie was just like, yay, we made a bomb. That, like, is the opposite of what that movie needed to, would have been. But the way that the movie, like, 
really draws out all of these court scenes, like really killed the momentum. I liked all the scenes that were in the um, personal interview room, but once they brought it to the big courtroom, I'm like, okay, time for a scene I'm not going to be engaged in. Um, This movie, when I was, I mean, I used this analogy a long time ago. Uh, I think I used it when we were talking about um, Daniel Day-Lewis. What's his movie that we watched on the oil? There will be blood. There will be blood. This movie is like a steak dinner, dude. Yes. You take your time and you use it only for special occasions. You don't do this all the time. It's like, let me have my wine with my steak. Let's make sure everything pairs. Like we're going to the restaurant. We're going to sit down for a couple hours. We have the table reserved for a while. I'm not going to watch Oppenheimer again for years because I'm like, I got my fill. I did my special thing. It was awesome when I enjoyed it. But it's just heavy. It sets in you. There are I know a mo- guy that watched this movie four times in theaters. That's <laughs> nuts, dude. That's crazy. Um, it's just, it's so heavy. It's just like, oh, we did it. It is, it's a, what do you think on your ratio? Film to movie. Um. It's like probably 70, 75 where we're talking about like it's as close as you can get. Yeah. And, and so. You, yeah. Any more what I will say would have been too is, much for people. Yeah, not, none of the purpose of this movie is entertainment, right? This movie is about like um, really understanding the character journey that Oppenheimer went through to go from all my friends are communists and I want to help the working people and how that trickled into I'm building a bomb for the government and what the consequences of that were. So, like, as far as all that goes, like, that's not entertaining, but it, or it, but it's like engaging, right? Um, and I want to say on that front, I still think, even based on like the other heavy hitter movies that have come out this year, I think that Killian Murphy needs this Oscar. Like just straight up, dude. He um, he did an amazing job. He is the only actor that I know that can make standing still look like the most nerve wracking thing on the planet. I was more nervous when that dude was standing still than when he was doing anything else. Dude, he's giving a speech where his mouth is moving, but you can't hear what he's saying. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is captivating. <laughs> um, another thing I really liked about Oppenheimer was. The way they depicted his mind working was really cool. They would do these like really cool light effects, colored light effects that um kind of remind me. They, they almost look like 4th of July sparklers that are um in various rainbow colors. And the way that they did that to like simulate his mind racing was really cool. It was maybe one of my favorite visual elements uh, from this movie. And so I agree that there's a lot of pacing stuff about this movie that has that like weighs it down. But at the end of the day, it is still an incredibly epic, grandiose scale, uh, grandiose tale of, um, a very important moment in history. And I walked out of that movie, I think having like a much deeper understanding of the time period of the weight of the situation um, and everything like that. So like, I I know we were talking about the criticisms of this movie. It's kind of like what we were talking about with enemy, but it's because the movie is so important that we want it to be the best version that it can be. Highly um, anticipated, all-star cast to the point where it was distracting when people showed up. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're telling me you got this A-lister to be in your movie for six minutes? Yeah. Like when Rami Malek, Rami Malek, didn't, it didn't need to be Rami Malek, dude. It could have been anybody. He did a great job, and I'm like, this is distracting. And then everyone was like, what the heck is Josh doing here? <laughs> yeah. Josh, what is going on? And you're going to set off the bomb? What's going on? But I really enjoyed, like, anytime they were talking about physics, I'm like, I don't understand a word you're saying, but, like, I feel like I do. It's one of those and things where I'm th- like, I don't know what you're saying, but I, I recognize these words, so I feel like you're right. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I'm in the same boat. I do want to watch it again at some point, but that will be a 
long way down that road. Yeah, this is a, I got nothing else going on, or it's been a while. Let me take an evening for it. Um, Up next, I want to talk about the movie Bottoms. It is a comedy movie with Rachel oh, Sennett. yeah. Okay, yeah. A.O. Ediberry and Marshawn Lynch. Um, This is the funniest movie I have ever seen. Oh, what? Straight up, I sat down in the theater and I was belly laughing for almost the entire movie. Um, Rachel Sennett is funny and I expected that. Aoetta Berry is a freaking dynamo in this movie. She is like the queen of like mumbled one-liners where like, the like Rachel Senate is saying something really important to a group of people and Aoetta Berry is just on the sideline cracking wise the entire time. And I'm like, yes. Ah, um, also Marshawn Lynch, as we learned in Murderville, also a really funny dude. And like, from what I understand, a lot of his lines were, uh, improvised and it is just, it is, such an amazing comedy like i genuinely think i'm gonna be bringing this movie up again at the end of the year oh my god like it was uh it was just gut punching laughter from start to finish like straight up and i'm not joking nine out of ten holy smokes dude well i'll see your nine out of ten with a nine out of ten uh across the spider-verse bro Dude, that movie rules. This movie I liked so much more than Into the Spider-Verse. Because Into the Spider-Verse is a complete story. This is not. But like, not have... I, dude, if the first movie does a great job world building, the second movie can just focus on the story and just sprinkle in a little extra stuff. Sure. That's how I feel about The Dark Knight is like the begins did all the world building. Now we can just focus on, you know, knowing there's other Spider-Mans already. Sweet. We already know he has a relationship with these people. Sweet. We don't need to waste the whole movie building stuff. And then we can just like, I mean, Miguel, dude, is so freaking dope. He's not even like the villain. He, in this movie, he is. He's, I mean, a lot of people are just, he's just an anti-hero. I love that character so much. Yeah. It's just one of those things I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I understand. It's like my favorite villains are the ones where you're like, this guy has a good point. That's like <laughs> yeah. why I like Killmonger. In Black Panther, um, I think that's why a lot of people like Thanos. It's it's always like, got a good point, bad way of going about it. Also, this guy was just cool. I'm like, you yeah. got the best Spider-Man costume. And then the banter was funny. I was laughing out loud constantly. You get to see Spider-Man's, like, Miles' family more, which was dope. I'm, dude, I'm just about this movie. And then, knowing this is part one, and then the last... 30 minutes is just setting up for the next movie and you're like oh my gosh this is sick i mean what is there not to love i liked it um, i liked it more than the first one i can't wait for the next one i want to watch them back to back before the end of the year um because i do kind of want to have a little bit more of a direct comparison the the main thing i didn't love about across the spider-verse that keeps into the spider-verse up top for me personally is i felt like to the, the climax of the movie being him running through the spider society yeah. seemed like a relatively weak concept for the climax. Obviously, yeah. it's super cool. It's watching just it happen. cool. But as as it pertains to the story, you're, it's just a long chase scene. Exactly. Like, so I, I mean, the dialogue I, at the very end of the chase scene where he finds out yeah. that he wasn't supposed to be. That was crazy. But I mean, the whole 10 minutes before that, we're just watching a cool sequence. So I want to watch it again. I haven't seen it since I've seen it in theaters. But uh, like I said, I want to do a back-to-back watch through so I can like spend more time formulating like a concrete opinion on it. But it is a movie that I have not stopped thinking about since it came out. Yeah, dude. I'm freaking... Um, I'm going to go to another animated movie, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Um, this is the, one of the best representations of like genuine teenage humor in a movie. And it's super lighthearted. It's super funny. Um, I like the art style for the turtles, but the way it translates to like 
human designs and um, some of the, the mutants in this movie, it's a little too grotesque for me. But, like, I really liked the shading and the um, line work and all of that when it came to the artwork. Um, but this is, like I said, every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, piece of media that has come out focuses on a different word of the title of the <laughs> yeah. franchise. Yep. This movie focuses on the teenage part. Really hardcore. Um, and... It, like I said, it's super funny. It's super heartwarming. Um, it's not that deep, um, but there are still some really cool action scenes in this movie. It's one of those movies that you know was made by people that care about it. And so when people complain like, oh, we've been getting too much TMNT stuff and most of it is bad. This is not. This is one of those things that's like, keep making Ninja Turtle stuff if it's like this. Um, so I would probably give that one like a 7.75. Whoa, dude. Um, that's wild to get a TMNT movie that's ranked so high. It's good. I mean, <laughs> I believe Paramount you. Plus, watch it. <laughs> I believe you. That's just, uh, it's a lot, you know? Um, okay. I'm going to take a low. I'm going to do, I'm going to do my two lows and finish up with a bang. Uh, I watched the machine with Burt Kreischer and, um, Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill could not remember his name. This is a, uh, okay. Comedian movie. I have a firm belief and this could be wrong that comedians need to get their reps in as a secondary character in movies before they have a movie made about them or with them as the star. I would reference Kevin Hart as being in a bunch of, just being that funny friend, the short guy in five movies. And then before he has a movie that's just him, do a couple like buddy cop, like when he was doing um, the buddy cop movies with Ice Cube or then he's yeah. doing stuff with The Rock. Do it where you don't have to do the whole thing by yourself or it's not about you. And then you can do a movie like Fatherhood or whatever that Dad's or whatever his one was, um, where it's it's just you. Same thing with uh, Pete Davidson. Yes. You got to do a few Netflix and Hulu movies before you get your King of Staten Island. Yes. I just think like this movie, he went from making super small stuff, just, you know, cameos on his friends' movies to having a movie about him. And I, I don't think... It was there. It The parts were funny, but the story for me fell flat and it wasn't compelling. Even though like this is based off a of stand up and like he got a bunch of fans to do it. I felt the same way or I got the same vibes from Joe Coy's uh, Easter Sunday and Sebastian Maniscalco's um, father movie, which I can't remember um, about my father. About a father. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's one of those things I'm like, I wish you would have just got your reps in because I want them to succeed. But they're so successful in one area that like they can skip the line and some other stuff. And I'm like, you, this could have been so much better. But for me, it was just like, a, it was just stuffing as many jokes as possible. And also the, the promos of like, we're bringing comedies back. Um, I can make any joke I want and not worry about it because we're going to take risks. I'm a comedian. These jokes are going to be funny. I'm like, yeah, the jokes are funny, but it doesn't service the movie at all. And the f jokes are funny enough. So... I'm not. I'm also watch. looking at the runtime. It's just shy at two hours. That's that's a choice. Um, the first act good. Second act good. The third act was rushed. It was obviously like, hey, this can't be too long of a movie. It is a comedy. And the third act, it just ends. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that we were in the final battle right now. I didn't know this was the final oh. one. I feel like there should be more. Um, so that's a bummer. I mean, realistically, I'm never gonna watch this movie again. I did it to support a comedian I like because that's what I do as a fan. Um, however, the movie's a flat five, dude. That's a bummer. Yeah. It's, it is forgettable. It's average. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just a movie, dude. It, I think that that's the, it's, it's a problem because you want to support him, but you're like, no one's going to remember this. And if he ever listens to this, Bert, I don't mean it. And I love you to death. <laughs> I'm a great fan. But like, this just, well, this isn't it, you know? I watched the Equalizer trilogy. Okay, so I've seen the first two. Haven't seen the third one. I, I What do you think? Equalizer 1, dope as hell. Nice. Equalizer 2, dope as hell. Yes. Equalizer 3, sucks. Oh, so, <laughs> so I got out the right time. Um, 
so the equalizer is um you know modern action movie and it does the same thing that all modern action movies do when i say modern 2014 is when the first one came out sure um so it's that very like quick sharp and brutal action scenes and the whole point of these movies is denzel washington plays this character who is very old-fashioned very like particular in his ways and he is a retired black ops agent but we don't get told that it gets like kind of sprinkled in along the way yeah very like special set of skills Yes, exactly. It's that fact is really only important in the third movie. But I really like the first two movies because it should be a generic action movie yes. where you watch it and you're like, okay, he kills people. We had our violent fun. Let's go. But because it's Denzel Washington, <laughs> he brings like a level to the character that I think really elevated those movies to something that I was watching on a whim to something where I was like, oh, I'm excited for the third one now. I want to see how this wraps up. So, like, I would give Equalizer 1 and 2 both an even 7.5. They are both good in their own regards, and I really enjoyed both of those. Equalizer 3 is about him trying to, like, actively be in retirement, so he moves to, like rural italy <laughs> what is um, happening did they just get like a crazy budget like the first two are success have all of our money you would think that but alexander there are three action scenes in this movie what so the whole movie is him moving to like rural italy and a mob is like enforcing you know their power on this small town and denzel washington like is standing up for them but he only does it like two or three times. And that's, like I said, this is where the whole like black ops stuff comes in. Like the black ops department is uh, running an operation in the same area. So he's feeding them information. So it's almost more about the agent that's running the operation rather oh. than Denzel Washington's character himself. So there's lots of scenes of, Denzel Washington, like getting to know the townsfolk and um, learning what parts of the area are culturally important and where they stand as a society. And like, it's a very personable movie. And I understand that, like, hey, this is the kind of movie that an older version of this character would be in. It is a very realistic step for this character. I wanted to see him take someone's head off. I got to be real with you. I wanted a little bit more. So, like, I understand the heart of it. This was not the movie to end your trilogy with. So, where one and two were an easy seven and a half, this sits at an unfortunate 5.75. That's a bummer, dude. Can I remember the action scenes? I remember vividly. The fr- and I watched them when they came out, like within a year of them coming out. And I have not watched them since. I remember the Home Depot sprinkler yep. scene. And uh-huh. I remember the abandoned town in a hurricane crazy scene. Yeah. Wild, dude. Also, Denzel is known as making, he can make a mediocre script and a mediocre movie just elevated because he's that good. Um, Bill Burr actually talks about like in Training Day where he literally says, King Kong ain't got shit on me. He goes, do you know how good? goofy that is to say like that's the <laughs> dumbest thing ever but he makes it sound so cool that like it's a world-renowned monologue that he has so denzel can elevate it the fact that he couldn't save this movie scares me <laughs> yeah because uh-huh. now part of me this might just be like the third godfather where everyone's like hey the third one's trash don't watch it and i'm like that's gonna have to be it for me then i'll yeah, just rewatch uh-huh. the first two and then just pretend the third one never happened yeah <sighs> all right well I watched Mississippi Grind. A little backstory, yeah. uh, audience. We were gonna. This was gonna be the movie we did instead of Enemy. Uh, I got halfway through. Texted Greg, "Have you watched it yet?" He said, "No." And I'm and I said, "We're calling an audible. We're not watching this movie." <laughs> 
Um, I got to the last 50 minutes, 45 minutes, and it was it's just a movie about a guy with a gambling addiction. And then Ryan Reynolds is his uh, backer. He's the one who essentially gives him money um, to to win with, and then they split the reward. Um, it's just dumb. There's too many gambling movies. They're all the same. Obviously, the guy has a straight-up problem. Men Mendelssohn uh, plays like the addict, and then Ryan Reynolds is in this. At the end, you finally get your like, oh my gosh, it all worked out. Spoiler alert, you shouldn't watch this anyway. Um, and that's it. I would say the last 20 minutes are good. The first hour and 28 of this movie are just boring. It's just gambling, losing your money, gambling, losing your money, seeing a guy hit rock bottom over and over and over again and being like, no one's this stupid. I'm not recommending this movie to anybody. I love gambling movies like casino movies. This will never make it on a list. I'm scared in 10 years we're going to hit A24 movies again or casino movies and I'm going to forget I watched this movie and have to watch it again. <laughs> this movie's not good. It's just boring. The dialogue is okay. It's Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. He's the same guy. And this was before he like acted, acted and like found himself. So it's just like you see it just Ryan Reynolds sprinkled in. Um, there are women in this. There, there, I mean, <laughs> it is... But like, they're like love interests. There's no depth to them, dude. There's just women in this. (laughs) What a wild thing to have to say. That's crazy. It's just like, for all the flack that Chris Nolan gets for writing women, this this is as bad as people make Chris Nolan out to be. It's just like, we have to put her in because these guys need to like somebody. But there's no depth at all. The actresses are trying so hard to add depth to these characters, and you can see that there's there's a little something, and then they they don't ever come back up for the rest of the movie. Um, oh wow! It's in the fours. I don't know where, and I don't dedicate the time <laughs> to find out. Do not watch this. It's a twenty four. That's fine. It's not worth it. Do not watch it. Um, all right. Um, I'm gonna talk about the creator. So the creator is a very important movie to come out this year. Because it is the biggest non-IP-based sci-fi movie that we have gotten in, I would say, at least a decade. Um, It is a sci-fi movie that a studio has put a budget into, and it pays off. This is also the movie that I burst my IMAX bubble with. Popped my (laughs) IMAX cherry is what I was trying to say. But I just fumbled it through. (laughs) No worries. Um, But... So this was my first IMAX movie, and let me tell you, it 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 was it was worth it, man. That movie was that that was a gorgeous movie. So, the plot of this movie is um, AI were created and eventually lived side by side with us. Then, um, an AI-led terrorist attack happened that destroyed half of San Francisco, and as a consequence, AI was outlawed and shunned and banned um, in the Western Hemisphere. But they still live freely in the Eastern Hemisphere. And when I say AI, I'm talking like straight up like robot-built humanoid bodies. Like um, they are integrated living beings into society. Um, And John David Washington's character, um, I'm trying to- I forgot he was in this movie. Yeah, dude. Um, I, I don't think I can explain the plot in a competently enough manner. Regardless, John David Washington's character does not like these AI people. They blame them for his wife's death. And But now he has to take care of this small AI child, a la The Mandalorian, and like uncover mysteries about his wife's death. It's a very short, bland way to put it, but it's much deeper and much more interesting than that. Um, one of the protective measures that humans have put against AI is they have this orbital spaceship that constantly hovers over like North America. And seeing that in IMAX was gorgeous. It's one of those things where like budget math doesn't make sense anymore. Cause I think this movie had like an $80 million budget and it's one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in my life. And the flash had a $200 million budget and it looked like somebody played with like silly putty and called it a movie. Um, so Jeez, 
I will say that the script, it's the story is cool. I like the story a lot. The script itself has some weak points. Like John David Washington's character, his only motivation is to find out what happened to his wife. His wife might still be alive and he's going to get to the bottom of it. However, through this adventure, there is a body count. Innocent people die because of the mission that he is on. And I got to a point where I'm like, hey, bud, I don't know if this math is mathing anymore, man. Um, You are getting innocent people killed because of your mission to find your wife who might still be dead. Um, But at the end of the day, it is a very conceptually interesting movie that misses a few beats that if you have even a passing interest in sci-fi, I think is a very, it is the perfect one-off movie that sends a really good message to studios saying, hey, we still want movies like this. So it's not perfect by any means, but I sit it at like a seven and a half, um, and I had a really good time with it. All right, my final movie I'm going to talk about is uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. This movie is two hours long. It has Colin Farrell, and Nicole Kidman and Alicia Silverstone is in it for a little bit. Um, and then Barry Keoghan is in it. You would know him because he's the Irish actor that was in the Oscar movie, uh, Banshees of Insurance. Banshees, yeah. He was also um, in The Eternals as well. Uh, he's phenomenal. Everyone in this movie is phenomenal acting-wise. This movie is tone, I mean, uh, dialogue similar to the lobster where it's all the dialogue is character saying exactly what they're thinking. And, um, I mean, there's just no awkward parts in this movie. Like the characters are incapable of feeling awkward. That was, uh, I mean, same director and uh, writer as the lobster, the movie, it's a two hours to allow a long movie and at 50 minutes. Exactly. They just straight up come out and say what the movie's about. Um, and I'll just spoil it for you right now. Um, there is a guy, there's a kid, um, who is talking to the surgeon. He's like, you were operating my dad. My dad died. It is unfair because you killed him. You have a wife, a daughter, and, uh, your youngest is a boy. You have to kill one of them. If you don't kill one of them, all of them will die. And here's what it looks like. They're first going to be paralyzed from the waist down for a couple days. Then after that, they're going to refuse to eat at all. So start to waste away. Then they're going to start bleeding from their eyes. And once that happens, you have a couple hours to kill one of them um, or else they're going to die. And it'll just move on to the next one. It starts from youngest to oldest and it ends with your whole family dying, including you. So I highly suggest that you just kill one of them and then they will all heal. But you have to kill one of them because justice is justice. And, all right. Uh, that... This movie's just weird, and that's, like, not okay. And then everyone has the craziest responses, because he ends up telling his wife, be like, hey, this kid who I've been hanging out with, the whole place, place takes uh, takes uh, takes place in Cincinnati, and he ends up, which is not relevant to the story at all, just, you just recognize the city. He tells his wife, be like, hey, I've been hanging out with this kid for a while, because um, I feel bad that his dad died. Um, and he just never told his wife about it. And then his mom ends up liking him. So now he has to tell his wife, be like, Oh, and by the way, the kid's mom was making moves on me. He never tells her that. Um, but the mom is like, she's cold dude. Like she loves her kids, but like she's rational to the point where like it's manipulative, manipulative and whatever. Cause she, once she gets told that she's towards the end of the movie, she's just like, Hey, let's be rational. We can always make more kids. It needs to be one of the kids. Don't kill me. And I'm like, what All right, is yeah. happening? Dude, there were so many points in this movie where I was like, I don't want to watch this anymore. This is so uncomfortable. Also, like the way the dialogue works, um, they're saying things people shouldn't say. They're telling secrets you're not supposed to say, and it makes me uncomfortable. And the characters aren't comfortable. So they're just, I'm, I'm being uncomfortable for them. This is, it's super adult themes. The whole thing is like super adult. Uh, it's interesting. It's uncomfortable. Uh, the dialogue is uncomfortable. The plot is uncomfortable. The way everyone interacts with each other is uncomfortable because the daughter ends up falling in love with the kid who basically put the curse on him. Um, but everyone's acting is so good that you're just forced to believe this is how it happens. But so, like, should I watch it? Uh, 
you should, our audience shouldn't. Okay. Because I want to talk to you about it once you watch it. But I mean, like, unless you're into some weird stuff and it's rated off for a reason, unless you're into some, like, you like watching super weird movies, like this didn't get nominated for an Oscar, but like, this is the kind of movie that does. Sure, this is the kind of movie that does get nominated for an Oscar. So it's not what normal people watch. It is definitely more film than movie. I would say 65-ish percent film over movie. Um, It's two hours long, feels longer. Um, And I mean, you got to realize that half the movie is basically watching paralyzed kids crawl around and their parents. I mean, he is a surgeon. His wife owns a ophthalmology clinic. So she works on eyes and, you know, glaucoma. She's an ophthalmologist, it seems like, uh, or runs the clinic. And most of the movie takes place in hospitals being like, what's wrong with my kid? Like, I heard this is a curse. I don't believe it. What can we do? What can we diagnose them with? Um, And it's just an uncomfortable, hard watch. I had to watch another movie after this because it's just like there are just one or two scenes. I'm just like, I don't like how that played out. There's a couple of things that just like irk me like um i don't like watching scenes where someone's cheating i can't do it yeah like it makes me feel so uncomfortable my heart's beating like i'm experiencing it by watching it so like i try to avoid those movies if i can and this movie has just like a short scene where it takes place and i'm like now i can't stop thinking about that and i have to watch something else yeah because i'm like i liked you you can be a like she's like like i said the wife is like hyper rational she's like i will do whatever it takes um and I'm like, I need there to be lines you don't cross, which is crazy that I watched this movie right after watching freaking enemy where a guy literally takes another dude's wife. And that, that made me uncomfortable. So I'm like, I got to watch this off with something else. And it happened again. <laughs> so like, I don't know, made me super uncomfortable. You should watch it so we can talk about it. Um, but I think, it, I think it's on Netflix. I don't recommend okay. this to anybody except for if you're just into watching movies and you watch everything. Those are the people who should watch this. Freaking yikes. All right, dude. all right, gang. We all knew this was coming. Um, time for my big Star Trek dump, all right? <laughs> so um, uh, I finished the last two original series movies, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Um, they find God, um, which was not a, a route that I anticipated Star Trek to take. What? Um, <laughs> So they like have to go through this like unmapped section of space where allegedly at the end, the Christian God himself is in the center of. And I'm like, what? Like, like, hold on. This is a sci-fi movie. What? Um, It ends up, hey, spoiler. It ends up not being the Christian God himself. Um. Yeah. But, like, what a weird thing to bring in, right? Um, and uh, so I, I just, like, I didn't care for that one very much. It, it was a very space-faring Star Trek movie. Um, and not a lot happens, and I didn't pay much attention. Um, so, like, fi- flat five. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, is all about them making peace with the Klingons, which is important because in The Next Generation, they talk about how they have made peace with Klingons, so they kind of needed to establish a a canon time that that happened. Um, It did not feel like a good final movie for the original cast. It was kind of like a... It it felt like a, a Star Trek episode. And I kind of wanted the final Star Trek movie with the entire original cast needed a little more weight to it. Um, But at the end of the day, it was fine. Like six and a quarter, six and a half, something like that. Then I finished all of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, That is seven seasons, 176 episodes. And man, let me tell you, um, it is one of those shows where... You are not watching it for the individual plot of the episode. I'm going to be honest. Every episode is 26 seasons. You're going to get no fewer than 10 duds per season. That's just a fact of the matter. But you put up with the duds because it's not about what alien is on the ship asking for political asylum. It's about the crew members of the ship interact when act, interacting with each other, building up their friendships, learning about them personally and 
um, how they help each other when they are going through difficult times. So that is what got me through that show. Seasons three through six of that show are the show's peak. Is It is when the show is at its best. Season seven had a bit of a problem where episodes would just kind of end and there wouldn't be like an epilogue to them. Like normally when TV shows end, there's like three to five minutes of characters like talking about the arc they went through. They just stopped doing that at a certain point. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, gang, we're almost at the end and this is how you're using your time. Um, But as far as Star Trek shows go, like, I understand why people call this the best. It is this crew felt like a family. So like, I got to give it props for that. I'm not going to give it a rating because I think it's kind of hard to rate an entire TV show like that. Um, But I had a really good time with it. And then um, (laughs) I watched (laughs) um, The Next Generation has four movies. I watched the first one and that one felt like a genuinely really great finale to Next Generation as a whole. It's called Generations. It's the movie where Picard and Kirk get to interact, um, which was something I was really looking forward to. It is so nice watching a show where the budget is like $12 and a prayer and then watching their first motion picture, and you're like, oh my god, lights! Holy crap! Oh my god, I can see everything! (laughs) Um, So, like, the production quality is noticed and appreciated, and I had a lot of fun with it. It, uh, Malcolm McDowell is in it, and um, I can't wait to walk up to Clockwork Orange nerds and be like, hey, my favorite Malcolm McDowell movie is Star Trek Generations, and just watch them explode. Um, I feel like because you've been watching this for so long i no longer need to see it um (laughs) i mean our whole dude our whole audience just got an education yeah dude i can talk about this show for a while but that's where i'm gonna leave it so star trek generations was a very good finale for next generation i still have three more movies to watch i have three more tv shows to get through i'm nowhere near the end gang but um i'm having a lot of fun with it so uh, Star Trek Generations as a movie probably sits closer to like seven and a quarter, seven and a half. Okay. Anything else? I'm done, bro. All right. Cool. There's other stuff that I'm going to sprinkle into freeballing as we carry on. Like, I didn't even talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, um, but we'll save that for another time. Thank you for indulging us on our long-awaited catch-up session. I'm so happy that we were able to do this. We have great plans for the future. I'm excited to be back. Full swing, full force. Alex, what are we watching next week? We're watching The Whale. You're so right we are. Brenda, I mean, you might remember from last year's Oscar episode or the beginning of this year. Last year's best of best of 2022 and then earlier this year's Oscar review. Craig talked about it both times, said this is top 10 Best movies all time. I even said top five. So we're finally going to watch it for the podcast. I'm terrified because I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. And what if I watch it and hate it? (laughs) What if I lost the magic after the first viewing? I am so scared of that happening. I have. I'm trying not to think of this as a Craig movie, just a good movie. Because I don't get along with Craig movies. So I'm like, (laughs) maybe it's just a good movie. We'll find out. But until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mama said hi. See you next week. Deuces. Deuces.